Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There's stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Non-Contact Time, a podcast about all things educational by Hannah and Kath. I'm Hannah. And I'm Kath. So what's on the agenda today, Kath? Today's episode is going to focus on student well-being. In data, we're going to talk about some of the articles that focus on the impact of student well-being during this very, very strange and unprecedented time. In teaching and learning, we're going to talk to Jackie from ARC, who is um, working for a mental health specialist art centre in Stockport. In pupils causing concern, we're going to hear from some students for a change. And in any other business, we're going to tell you about our upcoming episode because it's our last one of the season, whoop. our summer barbecue. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> In data, we've both been doing a bit of research about student well-being. So, Kath, you're going to start with some of the things that you've been reading about. I've been looking at mental health statistics and the increase in mental health support during lockdown. And if we just look at adults by themselves, um, the National Centre for Mental Health said that obviously adults have been accessing their services more and more. So there's been a 53% increase in demand for mental health support online with a 40% rise in sadness and depression. There's been a 115% rise in pressures linked to new work culture. Because so I think there's been a real, it's been really difficult for people working at home to work out their work time and their home time. And that balance can be very, very difficult. So it also talks about the statistics with children and young people. And I think these percentages are more worrying. So obviously there's been an increase in children using online support, 34% increase in that. But the ones that really, really kind of upset me when I was reading through it is 170% rise in sadness and depression and 121% increase in sleep difficulties in young people and children. So what we're looking at is that when we return to school, there's gonna be a lot of complex mental health needs. And even just something as simple as sleep, if your sleep patterns are disrupted, and we've seen this ourselves as teachers, it can have such a huge impact on those that child's emotions, their concentration, their ability to relate to other children, their reaction times, because when you're tired, having a conversation it's very difficult to display empathy I think we all feel that sometimes but you can't react the same way that you normally would if you were alert or had a really good night's sleep so these things are going to have an impact on young people when they're back at school so I think we need to think about how we're going to deal with these things and how long these difficulties are going to last post-covid post-lockdown when we're, we've got our grand reopenings. What have you been reading about, Hannah? I've looked at the charity Young Minds and there's a document called Wise Up. And this document is talking about prioritising well-being in schools. So I've got quite a lot of information actually from this 24-page document. I've just looked at the first few pages because I think I don't want to go too heavy into this, but some of the statistics and some of the uh, reasoning behind 
why schools make the decisions that they do and what government needs to do is really important to take into account. So a quote from the article says, evidence shows that mental health and well-being programs in schools can lead to significant improvement in children's mental health and social emotional skills. Well-being prioritizing in schools can also lead to reductions in classroom misbehavior and bullying. And that's the key that I really want to focus on. If a school or a leadership team has a grip on improving the mental health and social and emotional skills within students or classroom teachers will see a, a change in behavior, a positive change. And I think leaders have a duty to address well-being, especially if it does have an impact on class behavior. A positive school culture can make a huge difference in the classroom and the leaders, teachers and parents should work together to improve this culture so that students feel ready to learn. And we've spoken about being ready to learn. We've spoken about trauma and how that can affect students. But actually, we're facing quite a big global crisis and this needs to be at the forefront of our interventions to help students feel confident in, in the classroom and also for them to be ready to learn. So this paper was created before the coronavirus, but some of these statistics are quite alarming. So it's talking about an escalating crisis, something that's been bubbling over the past five years. Three children in every classroom have a diagnosable mental health problem, rising to four if we include emotional stress. 90% of leaders reported an increase in the number of students experiencing anxiety or stress in the last five years. 80% of students say exam pressure has significantly impacted on their mental health. So why do schools struggle to prioritize well-being? I've had a think and a lot of those answers unfortunately come from politics. I know people don't like talking about politics, but actually the education secretary and the government's vision for education has had a dramatic impact on teacher well-being and student well-being. So the fact that we've now got a curriculum that is so jam-packed that some teachers feel we haven't got enough time in the lessons provided to cover the topics that are needed in as much depth as they are needed, that's a concern, especially when we've got schools trying to level the playing field by doing things like starting GCSEs in year nine, and now Ofsted are discouraging it. And then we've got some lessons having you know, five or six extra periods compared to a subject like music or art might have one period a week. The next point is standardized testing. It's not just the test, it's the whole culture of accountability, which encourages teaching to the test, which is pointless. You're not training them to go into a job, you're teaching them to pass a test. It affects performance management and pay rises for teachers. And in some cases, it encourages cheating in exams. And if we've got this whole reliance on standardized testing, that's going to be one of the unfortunate consequences. The third thing that I've looked at is funding. So there's not enough for teachers. In one of our previous episodes, we talked about experienced teachers being forced out of the profession. What do you think about the prioritization of well-being in schools? I think it's a really interesting balance because I did read an article or I saw a headline from an article, which I didn't read, I'm going to admit. But I saw an, an article that said, when we go back to school, something along the lines of when we go back to school, students need catch up, not hugs. And I think that's the really important thing that we need to think about in this position. So we're not going in to go, oh, it's all right, don't worry, and give these children a hug. That's not what we're talking about here. We need to get these children ready to learn. And to be able to get a child ready to learn, it's about understanding their psychology, the complex needs that they have, their dynamics in the classroom, and the best people to do that are experienced teachers. So making sure teachers have the time to actually plan lessons around all the different needs of their children and make and students, I should say, because we're also talking about adults here, because even those people in higher education are going to experience some sort of um, displacement because of all the things that have been happening. So we need to think about the whole range of student from very very young who doesn't really understand what's happening to those that have really worried and being consumed by the news because they're able to access it. it we've got to look at that whole gamut of education we need to actually get them ready to learn and to be able to do that we need experience we need time we need to have discussions with our colleagues which apparently is being actively discouraged according to the uk guidelines guidance is that we're not supposed to be mixing with other staff but that's a really really good way of solving the problem saying to a teacher i've been working with x 
student they respond really well to these things and the other teacher going that's a great idea let me try and run with that in my classroom those sorts of professional conversations that actually have a massive impact on those students i think the idea that we're going in to give them all a big cuddle and tell them everything's going to be okay that's not our job that's parents job we're just there to make sure that they are safe that they're feeling emotionally secure that they're emotionally ready to learn and then we can start thinking about the catch-up that they need to do but i think there needs to be a lot more in place before that happens that leads on actually to something that gavin williamson said this week he said that education is just about preparing for a job or a career and school years are so crucial in the development of lifelong good mental health and positive life outcomes that if we don't take up this opportunity as an education system, we'll be doing a disservice for our society because education isn't just about preparing for a career. We've got a duty to get these children, um, set them up with positive coping strategies and outcomes to ensure that they can tackle obstacles proactively instead of reactively. So if we can do this, the benefit to wider society when they graduate, when they grow up, when they get into a job would be huge. You know, we'll be producing resilient, thoughtful, ready to take on the next challenge positively. And it will benefit our economy and wider society because we'll have a lot more caring people who will treat others like they have been treated in school. I don't think our job is just to provide qualifications for students to get somewhere else. We're not just a stopgap. We are such a a huge proportion of students lives and it has such a massive impact especially you know you've got a responsibility I know it's a bit of a cliche to shape young minds but you can turn that student into a successful person and that doesn't necessarily mean that they come out with certain qualifications that is a bolt-on to creating a well-rounded person I think. I've got a really good response to that from Mark Sparvel and this was actually during the EdTech conference he said that we need to think about the skills that help you learn and grow as an adult every day because a qualification doesn't make you a good human being it just means you know stuff and some of the things he talked about in terms of new future ready skills the skills that employers want are things like having um, physical and manual skills, basic cognitive skills, and social and emotional skills. And that's one of the gaps actually in some of the professions out there is that students aren't developing the social and emotional skills they need to be able to do with deal with things like problem solving, critical thinking, ability to deal with complexity and ambiguity and communication. All of those skills are so important in a job, but if they're not learning them in school or they're not learning them at home, when are they going to learn those? Because that makes them job ready. So just making it as simple or oversimplifying the problem as Gavin Williamson has once again done unfortunately and said you just need a qualification is actually not the only thing that you need you could be the smartest computer programmer in the world and have absolutely no common sense no social skills no communication skills and you're not going to be the top of your field i was also reading an article in about manchester.co.uk and um, they were talking about um, some of the research to do with young people and uh, coping during lockdown and it says that the picture appears to be more variable for older children in this study following the anxiety and uncertainty of going into lockdown some are likely to have found the restrictions more difficult as time goes on while others including those who feel safe and secure at home but find school challenging may have adapted well to their new reality and this is something that's going to also be important when we go back to school is understanding that some students really really liked remote learning and really flourished because they could work at their own pace they could choose when they worked and some children are going to have found that they really enjoyed that so actually returning to skip school it's going to be difficult for those who who did well during remote learning so that readjustment is going to be really tricky and i think we need to think of it as a readjustment phase not just as a let's give every child a hug phase yeah i agree but looking at the statistics to do with the services that are offered in schools so i've looked at some of the cams statistics are overwhelmed apparently and the nhs can't meet demand So the average waiting time 
for her first appointment in CAMS was 26 weeks, which is a massive amount oh of time. Oh my gosh. I know. And then to start treatment, apparently there's a waiting time of 42 weeks. So all these services are so overstretched and underfunded. It just identifies how far it is down the priority list. And I think schools need to be one step ahead of the government and actually put that forward, especially in September, move it up the scale because it is going to be really important to student well-being to student achievement there's no way that children are going to be able to readjust if they don't have those support systems in place and this system of delay actually means that a problem that could have been dealt with immediately you can nip it in the bud and get through it and have this student having a support plan and having strategies to deal with is actually prolonged delayed and that makes the situation even worse. So when you do put the interventions in place, it means you have to put more in. So if we had more government money to deal with these sorts of situations, all of the support that is put in place to help young people, counselling, CAMS, um, working with social workers, there's so many government agencies that work with young people. If we had more of those people that could work with these students faster, we're actually going to see a really positive impact on these young people. So when we're talking about education, we're not just talking about the teachers, we're talking about all the people that help young people, including our amazing TAs. I want to give a big shout out to the TAs because I know they've been working really, really hard with young people as well and doing so much in the background that they don't always get recognition for. These are all the things that we need to be advocating for, not just teachers. It's interesting to see that all these services and programs are being cut, but at the same time, poor well-being is on the increase. So there's obviously some kind of correlation here. And before lockdown, I read a statistic on this Young Minds document that said suicide is the most common cause of death for boys aged between five and 19 and the second most common cause of death for girls. And I think that's horrific. And it's shocking. Absolutely shocking. Obviously, it's not all about the support that schools offer or the lack of support because of the lack of funding. But there are things that we can do in schools to support those students and try and mitigate some of the circumstances that those students find themselves in and try and support them and give them proper coping mechanisms. I think it's also important that we're not talking about it in terms of safeguarding because we're not talking about children with issues that do need to be dealt with by a professional. We're just talking about those conversations to make a child feel hope and to feel um, confident again and feel like they are reintegrating back in or they are readjusting to new situations because we understand safeguarding procedures it's more there needs to be some sort of procedure or process to supporting a child that is just feeling overwhelmed by crazy situations that are happening in their life In Teaching and Learning, we're going to hear from Jackie from ARC, and she talks about the mental health and wellbeing programs they have in place and the support that they can offer. So in five words, describe a good teacher. Oh, I think um, inspiring, relatable, uh, genuinely knows stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a good word. <laughs> genuinely know stuff it's true it though isn't it because you know you can pretend you to, to know things yeah yeah I don't think I don't think your, your, your students want to feel that you're winging it even if you are <laughs> inspiring confidence in, in people that you and hopefully obviously a good teacher genuinely knows and loves their stuff so. brilliant I love that um what do you do to look after your mental health or to unwind I go for walks. I'm very lucky in where I live, so there's lots of walks out from here into the countryside. Um, I, I, I love my garden. I do quite a lot of gardening, but um, I also do quite a lot of just sitting in the garden. Yeah. Listening to the birds, and I, th I think that's really nice. And uh, recently I have been getting back into doing a bit of art making. Yeah, I saw on social media. That's great. So I've actually, you know, started using my Instagram account. Good grief. <laughs> 
I also really liked that um, the ARC staff shared the sorts of things that they were doing to cope during lockdown. I thought that, that was really amazing because it actually shows how different people approach their mental health in different ways. And I thought that was really positive. So if anyone wants to see that, they can see that on the Facebook page. Yeah, Facebook they're page. Also, yeah they're, they're all separate little, um, they're probably linked with a separate blog as well from the, from the uh, main website as well. So you can, yeah, but definitely they're on Facebook. Yeah, that was fantastic. That. Yeah. Um, what is one thing that you'd like to see change about education? Oh, it's fairly massive. Um, I think it would be to do with the whole targets-driven thing. I, I would, I would remove measuring schools and that sense of competing businesses. Um, it needs to be about the learning, really. I don't think that that uh, that level of pressure that you put on the teachers and therefore on the young people right from year two in terms of SATs, um, and certainly by year six, I don't think that's got anything to do with education. Really, mm. I, I I think it's 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 taken it in the wrong direction. Education's about learning and about that being a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's about a... measuring how a school is doing by giving year sixes random bits of spag. Oh, <laughs> the grammar, the grammar and punctuation. I never did. I mean, you know, I'm a dinosaur so we never did that level of thing but how at 10 are you supposed to, or 11 are you supposed to understand all that <laughs> when is it useful i don't know so i just think there's there's something about that whole targets driven culture which i think is i would remove if i if i were king of the world <laughs> i wish you were jackie because i'd love to see <laughs> that go myself <laughs> so i want you to um tell us a little bit about art we are a, a long-standing arts and health organization we're based in stockport but we work uh, across greater manchester now um although most of our work is in stockport we've been going for 25 years um although we had a name change and, and a kind of a, a change of branding halfway through um but yeah we've been we, we were set up as part of um, the setting up of loads of projects across Greater Manchester uh, back in sort of the late 80s, early 90s. There was a big movement to develop arts and health. So um, start studios in Manchester, there was Get Connected in Oldham, Cartwheel um, in Rochdale, uh, Lyme Hospital Arts in Manchester. So there was all this going on um, and we were the Stockport version, if you like. And we've, we've developed and evolved our our methodology and the, our, our audience and our participants over those 25 years. So now we work with people across the whole spectrum of mental ill health, right from working on the acute wards at Stepping Hill Hospital, so working with people who've been sectioned. Um, we work with them, we work with people who are referred into our programme, so that's like a kind of social prescribing model. Uh, but most of our referrals come from secondary care so from psychologists and support workers and social workers um rather than gps we, we do get some from gps and we'd welcome more but um i think gps are under a huge amount of pressure so i don't know if they can always make the referrals so so that's that's one area of work people are referred into the programs that we run um and then we also run more community-based programs which anybody can come to so we're looking at people perhaps with um, diagnosed, possibly long-term or severe and enduring mental health issues on the one hand. And on the other hand, we're looking at um, everybody. <laughs> and, and the fact that everybody has varying degrees of mental health and ill health. So we're kind of looking at trying to go right the way across that and targeting uh, people at different points in their journey. We work with adults and we work with young people. So we have a whole program that, that works with vulnerable young people. Uh, a lot of that is done in, in partnership with loads of other agencies. It's a massive spectrum you're trying to actually mm. encompass, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, can't be easy. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's, it's about, for me, it's always about targeting either the people that, that we think would benefit the most from that creative experience um, and looking at how we reach new audiences and new participants. So um, looking at either specific age ranges or specific neighborhoods or specific communities. Um, so we've, we've done developed a whole strand of work with, with mums, uh, initially 
just looking at the period just after birth when mums might be struggling with postnatal depression but actually now that's kind of expanded into a much broader creative mums program because we understand through that work the impact of the maternal mental health on the whole extended family so if you can actually get in and, and support the maternal mental health it will impact on the partner the children you know all the children's um school readiness everything you know can come come from that piece of work so it's kind of looking at where do we drop our little bit in that has a ripple effect across to other things rather than oh, saying actually everybody <laughs> <laughs> so working in on such a broad spectrum what do you think is the most common misconception about mental health i think um it's that it happens to other people Oh. is that it's other it's different it's it's wrong it's not normal um now i think that is getting better i think I, i've been working for art for 24 years out of the 25 and i've seen a massive shift in public perception and understanding so we were originally that project down there in that building dealing with those people mm -hmm. i think now people are much more accepting of oh this is all about men mental health so actually it is relevant for me so I think that's that's the, the still there's still an underlying sense of um, mental health um, I think it's the confusion between mental health and mental illness loads yes. of people say oh uh, they've got mental health what they mean is they've got mental ill health yes and so I think there's mental health is, is just a state it's like physical health isn't it and, yes. and, and any day your health will woo, do all these things just so, like your mental um, yes, health exactly so i think it's it, the, the misconception is that it is this thing that happens and it happens to other people over there um and no it's it's about all of us to some degree i mean you know massively differing degrees luckily not everybody has to suffer um you know psychosis or, or some of those major diagnoses but a lot of us and particularly now i would say have a a, a have a very challenging time ahead in terms of anxiety, um, fear, uh, agoraphobia. You know, right now, that's who can say how many people haven't been affected by these last few months. Um, and I think everybody's mental health has been challenged by that. I don't mean mental illness, I mean their, their health has been challenged. So some people will be more anxious than they would have been. Some people will be will, will struggle with depression more. Some people will feel they don't want to leave their house and have got used to not doing that. So it becomes a bigger challenge to get back out into the world. So I think hopefully we're in that, we're all realizing that mental ill health is something that affects everybody and it isn't just for that person over there. Mm. I think that's really um, a really good message to kind of share because I think I totally agree with you on that. I think there's lots of people that aren't quite quite self-aware about their mental health and they think of it more as illness than just mm -hmm. sometimes your mental health is going to be good, sometimes it's not going to be as good. Mm -hmm. um, so why do you think the arts is so effective in supporting people with mental health? I think because um, there's... The there's a basic human function or need, if you like, to um, to express yourself, to belong, to feel part of something, to feel part of a community, uh, and to express and share your stories and your experiences through storytelling, through visual art, through photography, through film, through making something beautiful with your hands. I think that is a basic fundamental human trait. Um, and since the dawn of time, people have done this by, you know, sitting around a campfire telling stories about mm. their world, about drawing um, things, you know, cave paintings that, that show the thing you did mm. and your life, you know, your community. So I, I think, you know, arts, it, I know it sounds like I'm going on a bit like a sort of art fundamentalist, but I think it's actually quite simple that it's it's just a human characteristic that we have. So again, if, if you think that your 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 human mental health is just part of you and how you exist, that if you are if you if you aren't able to share your experience, if you aren't able to feel that you're listened to, if you aren't able to feel that you're connected to your community, your mental health will suffer. So the arts 
is all about those things. It's all about telling your story, sharing your narrative, having somebody else go, oh, I feel like that too. Or, oh, I understand your experience now because I've seen it in a poem or I've seen it in a piece of art. It makes sense to me on some level. So I think it's, you know, it's that, it's a, it's a basic human thing. I think the arts are not the icing on the cake. They're not the little tack on, oh, it's lovely to do a lovely picture, well done. No. <laughs> It's, it's, it's who you are, you know, and I think we're really um, stupid to ignore that and to say that's nothing to do with our lives. Mm. Why do so many people read books? Yeah, it's not, exactly. It's like, it's like you're reading somebody and you're learning and you're <laughs> enjoying somebody else's experience and you're connecting with it. Why do so many people get involved in um, amateur and community theatre? Thousands and thousands of people because they're part of this incredible community. So, so yeah, I just think it's basic. If only everyone understood that. I think as an art teacher and Hannah, who um, hosts the show with me, she also, she's a music teacher and we just feel like it's just part of us and it's just so natural, but not everyone feels that way, do they? No, and it, I suppose the, the tricky thing is people think that I'm not an artist or I'm not a musician. Um, so I think the kind of creative projects that we believe in and that we lead are are trying to demystify that to some extent. I'm not trying to turn everybody into an artist. I don't believe that's the point of what we do. But if by creating an exhibition of work that you've done together with um, people who've struggled with their mental health, as you have, and, and you put an exhibition together and you feel part of that event, you're not pretending anything, but you are saying, but look, I, I have made something lovely. It's on the wall. It looks incredible. I am proud of it. And I'm proud of being part of this community. I don't, I don't think that that should be difficult. And no. I don't think it should be about putting up barriers to that. No, I agree. You know, that's not real art. Okay, there are some people who have this incredible talent and skill and hone that and train and, and yeah, that, that is also part of it. But it's not saying that everybody has to do that. You yeah. know, it's like when you watch the Grayson Perry um, programme recently, it's just been lovely because he's still playing and learning and and it's still really really sensitive incredibly moving mm. and yet he is revered as this great artist but actually I just thought god he's just like us <laughs> it's so interesting because when we're children art is such a natural part of our play and then as we become adults we lose that kind of idea of being able to play and being able to connect with things so having somewhere where you could go to be able to do that must be just so rewarding to people who come to your center i hope so i hope so <laughs> I, I i know it is jackie <laughs> <laughs> how do you think teachers could better support someone that had mental health issues um i think i think it's about probably trying to allow them a bit of time and space to to figure out what's going on from them i think I think in a way teachers are under a huge pressure to get everybody to a certain standard in a certain amount of time and and just driving on through that with somebody who's struggling with their mental health I personally don't think will work I think I think it might just be that it's it's not a huge amount of time they need out of it but they need to take a bit of time and also be listened to so that they feel valued because I think the worst thing is to make a, a student feel that they're failing at this early stage in their life or that they have failed so you're not able to do that because you're struggling. You're not able to attend those lessons. So that's a failure. So you go over there. I think mm. it has to be about now. How can we support you so that you can integrate back in? Yeah. Um, and that I, I think is about taking some of the pressure off and so that that person can really explore what, what the problems are. I think um, all the best interventions I've seen have been about just a little bit of removal from, from that situation a bit of support in, in a safe space so that they can kind of come back into it afterwards. Mm. It's interesting that um, idea of failure because um, mm -hmm. I think the way the education system is now set up, it's very much so exam driven, so pressure driven that that fear of failure is bigger and greater. And I know yeah. that you work with um, young people. You have a group for teenagers. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Is a lot of their needs about that idea of failure? Is that a lot of the conversations that kind of happen? 
Um, I, d I don't think it necessarily comes out in, in quite that way. I mean, the projects are very um, deliberately very art form and positive driven. Mm. I think to counter that act, that idea of somebody failing. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's about no. What what are we gaining at this point? What yeah. are we learning? What how are we growing in order to help us sustain ourselves and 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 be resilient? Because I think resilience is is the thing. Being able to cope with setbacks um, and things not working out the way you wanted is is really what you want those young people to have at that point. What you don't want is to set them up with that fear of failure or, or feeling that they are a failure, which will actually define their sense of identity for however long. I mean, I've seen, I've worked with people who were told very clearly that, that there was something wrong and they were failing early on in their lives and it becomes who they are. Oh God. I think that's really dangerous. For yeah, a young it is. You, you absolutely want to say, okay, so yeah, th this bit is, 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 is really hard. This bit, you know, it's that thing of should everybody get these exam results and go to university? No, that's just not, it's not realistic. It's not, it doesn't work for people. So we should be really careful about how we're driving young people into this kind of meat grinder of exams and, and you know, wh where the school is at in terms of, you know, those big boards that we all have outside our schools saying how many great results we got. I understand that. I understand where that's come from. But they're not, I don't know, they're not customers. They're children. And there's, there's, there's something wrong about all of that, I think. But I th so, yeah, I think, I think teachers just need to be aware that actually you don't want to reinforce the, that negative feeling with a young person who's struggling at that point to the point where they don't feel able to ever come back from it. That's the danger. Mm, so, I'm... you know, some some time out. Obviously, I I would say some creativity. Yeah, the projects that we do. I mean, we, we have we have um, a, a group that comes to our studio when when we're open, and now on Zoom. Um, but we also work in partnership with a lot of other agencies. So they will already be like with Signpost Young Carers in Stockport, who are an amazing organisation. They're already doing brilliant work supporting those young people. But they know the value of us coming in with the creative, positive productive thing and that makes a real difference so it's not just about talking about what's wrong it's about doing things that show what's right mm. so that, that's always our, our our way of addressing things is to look at what's possible and yeah. also challenge that you know I, I love it when people when young people finish a project and you know they've, they've started a songwriting project saying well I'm not singing I'm never singing I am never getting on a microphone and by the end of it, I watch them perform and I think, mm, okay, that's a massive leap. That's huge, and, isn't it? Oh, I can't believe I did that. Well, see, if you can translate, if you could bottle that feeling, that's mm. actually what you'd want to happen in a school. Yeah, you absolutely. Somebody to say, I don't think I can do this, but then to come out and say, oh, but look at what I did do. It might be different to what you thought, but look at what it was. You see, and I think, you know, art, music, I think those those things in school can be a savior for for some of the young people mm. i love that yeah. idea of um changing the word of going this is a failure and rather than saying this is a failure going what are we gaining from this i love that switching yeah. up the even the way you're saying it because mm. even though it was a roadblock it doesn't mean it's a failure mm. it's not the only road no it? exactly um and you know we, we get some great artists and facilitators um, running those projects now who and, and that's part of it making sure they've always got these things up their sleeve that can can change direction to you know depending on what the young people want but also really important to have a plan and a structure that's great but the best projects happen for me when you have to absolutely change direction and something different comes out which is brilliant but mm. it's unexpected and that that's the real joy when that happens not that you start a project saying oh we'll do anything we haven't got a plan no you start with a plan and then you can change it that's fine yeah that's so true it's, so, it's a lot so, harder in education yeah it is so hard in education but those unexpected outcomes are the ones you can't measure as well which is why we don't see those results on a sign outside of a school because sometimes mm. kids experience something and you can't put it into a percentage or a box yeah. 
because that experience to that child or that person is so unique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, we often try to share case studies um, and, and individual bits of narrative as well. I think the, you know, the individual quote from one young person about what it meant, what the impact was for them is mm. really, really priceless. Yeah, the, the stats and the data, that's fine. But actually being able to either, either you know, quote somebody or we started using video a bit and filming some of the things and actually watching somebody talk about their experience is so powerful. You, you get it much more than reading report. Yeah, absolutely. You have a video, don't you, for ARC that shows all the we, wonderful things you do? We have. We've got a, a new video which is on the website um, at the moment. It's like a three minute highlights. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 it's the adult pro, it's the adult people talking as opposed to the young people. But um, I think it really does capture what some of our values are and what we think the impact is. So yeah, it's on, it's on the website. It's quite moving. I, I, I remember watching mm, it. Yeah. And hearing what people had to say. So um, what advice would you give to a parent who was um, supporting a student or a child going through a mental health issue? Um, I think, yeah, I think in a way some of it is similar, but um, as a parent as well, I know how scary it is to think that your child is struggling. Um, you want them to, you know, keep, keep up, to fit in, to to be able to be happy and, and um, you know, happy, just, just content with their lives. And I think um, it's when you realise that you can't actually make them happy. <laughs> you can make them many things, but you can't make them happy, that somehow you've got to find all the ways you can to enable them to find that way through. You can, you know, you can give them all the advice you like. You can say, try this, try this, try this. But actually, in the end, it, it will be, their journey um, so again I think it's it's support it's time it's strategies to enable them to to find a way through um, trying not to catastrophize that's the wrong word you know what I mean yeah oh my goodness yeah um, again just to try and make it that okay so this bit is really hard right now but there are other bits coming up or mm. there are other routes or there are other things we can try. Again, all about resilience. Um, if you can help build a person that, that feels resilient, then they will be able to cope to some degree with, with any setback. So uh, how you do that, I'm not completely sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't think my children would say I, I have the answer to that at all. Um, <laughs> Oh, they're all right. Yeah, it's it's an individual journey, isn't it? And I think this is where education and systems don't always help because mm. they, again, they're trying to get as many people through a certain process. And if somebody either isn't academic or is a real high achiever and then has a massive dip with their mental health, so can't can't achieve what they thought they would and therefore you know there's lots of challenges to that so I think and in everybody's journey is individual we've just got to try I think to ease off and let let them find a path and support mm. them to do that not say but ah right so if you have that problem you you have to wait six weeks to get your first session with a counsellor then and that's it and it'll all be sorted it might not be and who knows what will happen in those six weeks so you know I think we've just got to all be a bit more realistic about we, as, as, other, as people, as parents, as, as, as professionals, we can offer some kind of support. It doesn't have to be clinical support, but we can offer something that can help that young person through. Yeah, I so agree with that. I love the idea of letting people find their own path. I think it's something that really I constantly... Very, as a parent, <laughs> just kind of, just, you just did that. But it doesn't, because that's me doing that, not, not them. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? Because I think, yeah, when students do find their path and when young people do find their path, what you said about feeling resilient helps you to be resilient because you might not actually have all the tools to be resilient when you're feeling that way, but at least you're on the path to getting that resilience. Yeah, my parents um, came from a, a certain background where they, by the time they had me, they felt they'd escaped um, their upbringing um they literally escaped a different part of the country you know my dad didn't have to work in the shipyards um 
it was just and, and they, they didn't go to university or anything like that um so by the time they had me as a late child a third child they were a bit like they, they just instilled in me that sense of you can do anything you like with your life mm. how amazing how amazing are the possibilities for you it wasn't ever that i had to have the answer i never knew what i wanted to do or what i wanted to be it didn't matter because i knew that i could just have a go at stuff so you know i went to university and did drama what the heck was that about <laughs> you know my mum who who well who grew up on the you know the council estate in Sunderland and who who did some bookkeeping um, yeah. but then you know she went back to college she she ended up being the bursar of our secondary school um my dad who was a, an engineer you know did his apprenticeship in the shipyards in Sunderland and went to the sea and then became an engineer for the home office it was all that sense of we've managed to make this massive change in our lives and you're starting at an even better position so just think mm. what you can do you yeah know, support you to feel that and also if it doesn't work out don't worry there'll be yeah. something we'll figure something out it wasn't that we had money but it was that we had potential yeah oh. and so you know i think if, if i think it's different you know for for children now maybe there's not the same sense of the world is your oyster maybe you know education was free in my day you see <laughs> everyone got, got a chance that. To... <laughs> <laughs> that is a big like change for young people now isn't it maybe you could tell us a little bit about some of the programs that you run for young people so um at arc we run we've just started a, a new project for young people which we are taking referrals for by the way just in case anybody in in sort of Stockport-ish or, or South Manchester area wants to think about referring people. Um, so that's uh, called Music Space. At the moment it's Zoom-based, but it will eventually return to the studio. It's a music-making programme, so um, we have a, a range of musicians that come in and deliver um, projects over a number of weeks. It's a Tuesday evening, it's 13 to 17, 18-year-olds. Um, and it's great, they've done some beautiful, beautiful things in terms of uh, songwriting and arranging, they're using um, technology such as BandLab um, to actually build up tracks. Obviously, um, songwriting involves lyrics and poetry and creative writing. So different people can, can be involved in different parts of it. So any songwriting projects we do, it, it's that approach. It's not that everybody has to come already knowing how to play an instrument. That's not, that's not the deal. You will learn how to use whatever skill, you know, technology we can have available um, so that's that's really aimed at young people that are struggling with their mental health at the moment it's a very very small and supportive um, group and all of the work that we do with young people is, is based on mainly small groups um, and yet yeah, supportive kind of peer network within the group um, a really really positive and inspiring facilitator no matter what art form it is so we, we do projects with um, young carers. We've done projects recently with the Pendlebury Pupil Referral Unit, the Pendlebury Centre. Um, we're looking at doing some work with Healthy Young Minds. Um, loads of other services and, you know, just, again, it's looking for partner organisations that feel they've got a group of young people that would really, really benefit from um, a creative project. And we fundraise, so we're lucky enough at the moment to have fund, funding from Children in Need, and youth music um, so that we've got a, a budget at the moment to employ artists and, and musicians and facilitators to go out and work with those groups of young people. Um, so yes, yeah, some of it, like the music space project at the moment is, is kind of in-house, we're hosting it, but a lot of that work is out there. We also do um, work, as I've mentioned before, with, with mums, but we also do work with families. So we have, um, when we reopen again, we will be able to, to, to start this, but we have our Saturday art clubs, which are open access and that's any family can come. You, you may have been um, involved in one of our other programs, um, or you may just have seen it advertised and come along. And that, the idea of that is, um, again, a kind of creative community. There's a real buzz to it. You're coming in, you're working together as a family. So a lot of families, as you know, Kath, bring in quite young children, you know, under mm. tens. Um, and, and the best thing is when you see families working together. So it's not about the mums and dads 
having a coffee over there and just leaving the kids to it. I mean, it's nice when the kids can be independent, that's great. But the loveliest thing is when me and you are going around the studio saying to the parent, sorry, you have to actually finish now. We need to close up. And the parent's like, but I'm doing this. I'm being creative. And I think it's magic when that happens, isn't it? It's really funny. Sometimes it's really hard to get rid of the parents. (laughs) Or they've started doing, you know, making a pot or, or, you know, a collage. It can be anything with their child. And then they've gone on to kind of like, well, you you do yours. I'm going to do mine now. And and I think that's really great for the the young people to see Mm. that everybody's having a go and and, and everybody's enjoying it. So, um, so yeah, so we, we, we do work with young people through that. It's a sneaky way in, isn't it really? It's Mm. come in and have a, have a drink and, you know, buy a chocolate biscuit and, and you come and make some art, but guess what? You can get your parents and your carers to do it too. Yeah. It's very, very good fun. I have to admit, I really enjoy those Saturdays. I miss them. I know. (laughs) And at the moment we're not, our building isn't open, but um, if you go on our website, so that's www.arc-centre.org, you'll find there's a link to a project called Keeping Us Together. There is also a separate website for keeping us together, but you can just get it all through the main website. It's the easiest thing just to go to there and find your way through. So keeping us together was our response. Within a few days of of lockdown, we thought we can't lose touch with all the vulnerable people that we're working with. So we immediately started to design activities that could be posted out to people who don't have any digital access, um, but emailed out to people that we invited, you know, you've got an email address that we had and said, just join this list and we'll send you activities. So that's creative activities. It's support, it's links to loads of other things that you might find interesting. There are loads of links to things that are good to do with kids on there. So through through our website, go to the Keeping Us Together website and that'll give you more than enough to do. You know, we, we have we're on activity 11 is going out this week. Um, wow. And we have loads of them here at home. It's, it's really great. So that's that's been really nice because not only have our participants or service users been signing up to that, but loads of other people have. Obviously, anybody in the world could sign up to that. It doesn't matter mm. where you are. That's been really interesting with the whole shutdown thing in terms of not being able to work in the building. You know, for us, human contact is is one of the key things that we offer and that sense of community and sense of belonging is incredibly strong. So I was very worried about that um, with, with the, the lockdown. But actually, there's something, it's, it's not the same online, I don't think it is, but there is something different happening, which is also quite positive. So we're reaching people that we wouldn't have reached before. Some people are finding they, they would much rather connect with us that way. They probably would never have come in the building. Mm, exactly. They live too far away or they're just not comfortable with it. So, um, so yeah, I think that if, if people want to find out more about what we're currently doing in our current offer, they, they can go to our website and find the Keeping Us Together route. We're just this week starting to deliver our main wellbeing programmes virtually and remotely as well. So the, work, the Creative Mums programme launched yesterday with Facebook Live, which was great. Um, so again, mums and families can join that. If you just go onto Facebook and, and you'll... you'll Creative Mums Online, it's called. You can find that. Um, and the work we're doing with um, uh, adults and mental health problems, we've got two programmes launching for that. And as I say, the, the Music Space Young People's Project is currently working on Zoom, and we're happy to take referrals. So you get all that information from the website. That's amazing. Um, <clears throat> you were talking about delivering packs. Um, I heard you've been raising some money for that. So how could people donate to help um, people yep. get access to that? Yeah, well, what we're doing is we, we realise that um, sending people activities and, and, you know, lovely, well, drawing, making, all that, that's, that's fine, but actually people couldn't get to the shops or didn't have um, the money and the resources to get those materials. So we've been um, doing a funding appeal, um, which, again, you can get the details from the website. So if you go on the homepage of the website, there's a big button saying donate to what that'll take you through to the all the information about the funding appeal and it, it tell it shows you how much we're trying to raise um it's it's to cover literally a pack um that comes in a plastic wallet that we can send out safely and we're, we're delivering them. our volunteers are delivering them to people's doors um in in stockport and in oldham so um in those packs are pens pencils uh, sketch pad watercolors things like that so and so they can 
do the activities that we're setting. Um, but also it helps to pay for posting out activities to people who don't have digital access, mm. particularly some of our older isolated people um, can't access the things that we're sending out via email. So we are literally, you know, photocopying the activities and putting some paper in and putting a little note. Hi, Charlie, you know, hope you mm. well. have a go at this. We hope to see you soon. And it's a way of, of still being in contact and a way of them still feeling connected to art because that's really important for some of our more vulnerable participants. They don't feel they've been abandoned. So as well as phoning people regularly, we've been sending these things out. So a lot of people have told us that they really, really valued that connection they've enjoyed doing the activities but more than that they still feel they're part of ARC even if they can't get in the building so if anybody could donate anything from a couple of quid upwards it's really really useful we've already raised half of what we hoped for the appeal so I'm really pleased about that oh amazing well done keep it going keep it going keep it going yeah. you know That's you could do your own little mini fundraiser you could you know sit in a bath tub of baked beans for 24 hours or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> you money to do something and then you know so it's a nice thing for, for people to do with their community is to raise a bit of money for something very specific and I think a lot of people have been raising money for the larger charities but don't forget the smaller local based charities that are going to really struggle financially mm. in the next year or so but the demand for our service is going to massively increase yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? You do think like we're going to need these well-being programs. Let's just hope that they can weather this storm. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you so much, Jackie, for talking to us today about mental health and how we can look after it a little bit better. Great advice for teachers, great advice for parents as well. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. In Pupils Causing Concern, we're going to hear from some pupils. My favourite teacher is Mrs Puller because she's nice. She's not strict like the other teachers. Well, my first teacher, well, my um, normal teacher, Miss Poyser, because she teaches the most lessons and I think the most lessons she teaches, uh, I like them. My favourite teacher is um, Mrs Dixon because she was really nice and like every time we're in like year three, we just like every day she just waves to us next door. My favourite thing about school is art, definitely. Because it's fun and it's not hard like the other ones, the other subjects. My favourite subject in school is art because it just makes me happy. My favourite part about the school day is the start of the day because you get to go through what we're going to do today and because if we don't know what we're doing in the day it's going to be hard to just every second just stop and stop and stop. Lunch because sometimes they make really good lunch. My favourite bit of the school day is yeah, the afternoon when it's home time because <laughs> then we don't have to do any work for the rest of the day. Another favourite activity that I've been setting lockdown is um, when I've been like drawing rainbows. Yeah, when I'm drawing rainbows because it's nice to the people for the NHS and to keep people happy. My favourite thing to do in lockdown is um, science. Oh, the science work. We did science work, and all we needed to do was just put proof paper and a box on the outside, and then just put draw puppets and cut it out. And you put a lolly stick, and then just reflect the light on the green proof paper, and then you could see the shadow. What do you think makes a good teacher? She do lots of schoolwork. Lots of schoolwork. Do they have to be nice? Yeah. Do they have to be friendly? Yes, but if you're naughty, then they in the middle. The teachers help us learn. Um, if she likes, she doesn't like shout at anyone. If because if she shouts at anyone, that's not gonna 
make them learn. They're gonna they're gonna make them learn mistakes, but they're not gonna learn anything. So all you need to do is just tell them like what you need to do and explain like your work or something. I think a good teacher is um like just not be strict. Don't be nasty. Be be yourself. Well, be strict. Sorry, but don't be yourself. Just, I don't like strict teachers. They're really harsh. Just be helpful and be nice. Not strict all the time. Yeah, that's what I think. Have you ever been to the head teacher? No. Oh, that's good. No. Have you ever done anything naughty? Kind of, but I've not done anything really, really naughty. That, that I've not done anything the naughtiest thing I've ever done. Fair enough. I've only done... Cheeky things. Cheeky things. <laughs> In any other business today, Kath is going to talk to us about our last episode of this season and what's coming up in September. I can't believe we're at a point where we're talking about a season of episodes, by the way, Hannah. I know. It's unbelievable. Thank you to everyone that's listened. We've really enjoyed putting these podcasts together. And I think for, in terms of our CPD, it's been completely invaluable talking to all these amazing professionals, but also having so many people share information and opinions with us. We have learned so much and we're hoping to continue to build on that next season. So we are going to have a break next week is our last episode of the season it is our summer barbecue (laughs) so we know lots of people haven't managed to have a summer barbecue and we've already decided when we started designing this podcast that we're always going to have an end of term do so that's what's happening next week and we're going to put on social media how you can get involved in the final episode if you want to you don't have to be but we'd love to have as many of our listeners involved in our last episode of the season as possible we're also having a break so um next week's episode will be our last one of the season and we will be back on the 24th of August. So our next episode or our first episode of season two will be on Patreon on the 24th of August. (laughs) And we'll be back on all our other podcast platforms on the 26th. So that includes Spotify, Deezer, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and hopefully by then Google Podcasts, which Hannah's working on. Hannah does all the technical stuff. She is amazing. And I'm very grateful that you do all the research into this stuff and I just get to read it out off <laughs> a script. Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> do yourself down. You, you are a very good researcher. I do the technical stuff. You do the, uh, the fluff and the good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I do all the fun stuff and Hannah does all the technical stuff. And then we get to talk to each other once a week during lockdown, which has been amazing. I've got to admit, being able to record a podcast with someone I really like working with and really like talking to has been very good for my own mental health. Well, you know, it's the debrief that everybody talks about. This is the, you know, this is what happens when you are able to look after your mental health. You don't feel, you feel like a weight's lifted off your shoulders. So true, the debrief. So many people this season have talked about the debrief. And we're going to talk about lots of things that have been kind of commonalities from our guests' answers next week. Also, things to look forward to in season two. I'm quite excited about season two because we've already started recording and we have already talked to some amazing people. So we've talked to um, David Weston from the Teacher Development Trust. We talked to Ellie Dix from the Dark Imp board games, amazing board games that you can play at home and also play with your students at school. They look amazing and I really enjoyed talking to her. We have an NQT special for all those NQTs really nervous about starting in September and even those new teachers starting in September. So we've got a back to work special that we're going to be talking about things that you can do going back to work and how to look after yourselves going back to work. Um, We're talking to some teachers who've left the profession and why they've left teaching and what they've done since. And we're also talking to Dr. Rhiannon Packer and Dr. Susan Davis on shy children. And I've already started posting some of the things that they've shared with us 
on social media like the Rod Gilbert special. It was amazing to watch. Great recommendation. Thank you, ladies. And we'll also be sharing on social media how you can get involved in their shy children's study. I've got to say a massive thank you to everyone that's been on this season and a thank you to all those people who are going to be on next season who are patiently waiting for the episodes because we got really excited and <laughs> recorded a bunch of stuff already. <laughs> If there are any topics that you want us to talk about or that you're interested in finding out more about, please let us know because we're always looking to interview new people and find out about new strategies. We're quite enthusiastic as some of our listeners have probably already gathered. <laughs> so just share them through social media. You can share them on our Instagram at non-contact time on Twitter, which is the same handle. We're also on Facebook, or you can email us on noncontacttime at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening this season. We look forward to hearing from loads of you for our summer barbecue. Whoop, whoop. See you next week. Bye. Bye. late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.